0: Another theatrical season, another entry in the books of Babel melodrama. Per usual, the burden of revitalizing the acts and exuants of the overpaid playwright's prior works falls to me, dear reader. I, Oran Robinson, cultural critic and man about town, or at least my own town home, shall hitherto attempt to puff upon the dwindling coals of your enthusiasm for a tale that, like the besotted guest who has begun to drape upon the drapery, departs not a moment too soon. I offer this recapitulation out of the largesse of my heart and my contractional obligation to the editors of the Daily Reverie. In last season's The Hod King, Thomas Senlin, having infiltrated our ringdom at the Sphinx's behest, was at last reunited with his betrothed, the incomparable mermaid, nay, Mrs. Senlin. Thomas took the long-awaited tender moment as occasion to confess his infidelity, Though not the identity of his paramour. If you, dear reader, do not recall the name of Tom's forbidden love, then you will not have read my award winning essay, Edith Winters and Why the Headmaster from Eastfish Piss Does Not Deserve Her. Shame on you. Maria, fearing the wrath of her new husband, the nefarious Duke Wilhelm Pell, released Tom from his tattered vows, but elected to keep the existence of their daughter, Olivette, a secret, for the safety of all involved. The lapsed headmaster only learned of his unobserved fatherhood shortly before Duke Wilhelm stuck a bucket on his head and banished him to the convoluted service tunnels that knot the tower walls like chitterlings. Pig entrails that share in common with the black trail a certain aroma. Condemned to the bleak thoroughfares of the Hods, Thomas was reunited with two characters from his past. John Tarew, his tippling friend from the Baths, and his former employer, the humiliated portmaster, Finn Gol. The trio soon found themselves conscripted into Luke Mara's army of zealots. Thomas and company were alarmed to learn of the existence of a mighty excavator, the unroyal Hod King. Poised at the threshold of his roughly carved throne room, the zealot shared with Thomas his intent to unseat the sphinx from her lofty perch. In a move that seemed to straddle the line between self preservation and martyrdom, Senlin promised to assist Mara's assault of the tower's enigmatic and unpopular warden. The ambitions of Mara and his siege engine are foremost in the mind of the formidable Captain Winters, who has recently knocked the ashes of Pelfia's Port Virtue from the soles of her boots. Before departing our vaunted, if somewhat diminished, ringdom, Captain Winters called upon Duke Wilhelm to offer his unwilling wife succor and safe harbour. Maria readily accepted her offer, and though travelling light, thought to pack at least her offspring, who came as some surprise to her liberator. Before withdrawing, Edith warned the duke off any notion of pursuit, famously punctuating this caution with a gory, ruinous handshake. Twas the sort of grip that makes an impression upon both the recipient and the rug. Aboard the state of art, the Sphinx's now silkless flagship, Valita began to convalesce from her recent death. Having been shot in the head by the rapacious Prince Francis Le Lemesurer, Valita was only revived by the ministrations of Redelman, the reborn wakeman once known as the Red Hand. Redelman plied Valita with the Sphinx's medium, an energetic and mysterious brew. Though the consequences of Valita's resurrection remain to be seen, Irene, the ship's imposing first mate, is greatly relieved to have her charge and friend returned. The manifest of the state of art grew by three souls. In addition to the aforementioned aeronauts and Byron, the Sphinx's buck of a butler, the gunship now serves as home to Maria, Olivette, and Anne Goucher, a recently unemployed governess and Irene's new Amour. It has fallen to Captain Winters and her unlikely crew to collect a series of nearly identical paintings that feature a girl clutching a paper boat in the shallows of the baths. The tower's elusive architect, the Bricklayer, distributed these artful tokens, one to each of the 64 ringdoms, shortly before his disappearance, an event shrouded in mystery. The paintings, collectively entitled The Bricklayer's Granddaughter, were destined to one day be reassembled within the panes of the Sphinx's zoetrope, a Baroque device that promises to reveal the encoded combination for opening the Bridge of Babel, whatever the devil that is. While the precise purpose of the bridge remains unclear, the Sphinx assured Captain Winters that unlocking the bridge was the only way to keep a great reservoir of poorly bottled lightning from igniting a conflagration that would turn the mortar of the tower into a pestle of a crater.